Shang-Chi and The Legend of Ten Rings. And something like a Marvel movie, for example, they basically demand pixel-perfect images as much as humanly possible. How do you become a compositor? Taking the real stuff and the fake stuff and smashing them together, basically. It doesn't really matter what your software is, you can get the same results. In Sydney, in summer, in Australia, where the sunlight is very harsh, it's so good here. Everyone gets sunburn, it's excellent. Birds, bugs, everything. There's, there's small bears that drop out of trees and try to kill you. Animal logic in Sydney. Something like Blender. I'm not sure I'd enjoy that. <laughs> you should just quit. There's no hope for you. Oh no, there's so many things I'm not allowed to talk about, but I can talk about that. Welcome everyone to another episode of Subsurface Talks, the podcast where I interview guests from CGI industry, mainly Blender community, but let's not limit it to just like something software specific. We are just talking about image creation, digital art, meaning of life, you name it. Today, I have a very special guest, uh, someone who's been working on big titles that probably most of you have watched. Things like Thor, Love and Thunder or Star Wars Andor or Rings of Power. Today with me is uh, Mr. Daniel Nays. Uh, hi. So, um, yeah, my, my name is Daniel and um, I, uh, I'm a compositing artist uh, currently at Rising Sun Pictures in Adelaide, Australia. Um, but, uh, you know, everyone in um, this line of work sort of moves around a fair bit, so I might not be there at some point in the future. <laughs> um, but, uh, yeah, so I've worked on uh, TV shows, uh, advertising, I've worked in movies and streaming shows and all sorts of things. So yeah. <laughs> and, um, um, and I also work for CG boost as a community manager and I work a lot in 3d as well. So, um, yeah, so that's how kind of we met. I first known you from the work that you do in blender. And then I found out that yeah, you do such great work in the compositing area. I do my best. <laughs> uh, and that's sometimes something a little bit neglected by some 3D artists, at least at, to a certain point. I remember my past when I was learning 3D and I discovered compositing quite late. And I, it was like a revelation that there's something like that and you can do so much stuff in post-production. And it's really, it's, it really makes things yeah. easier. Like maybe sometimes it's longer first when you need to learn it, but then it, it just allows for all the magic just in post-production. So um, maybe tell me a little bit how you really started this whole journey to CGI and, and why compositing? Like how do you become a compositor? <laughs> so aside from annoying my entire family by trying to get them to you know star in my terrible, terrible films when I was a teenager, uh, I didn't really pursue it as a job at all for a long while. Um, I actually, I, I started trying to do a bit of teaching and a bit of engineering and a whole bunch of different things. And then I ended up doing programming for a bit. And the way we were being taught programming is to make games. And I found that when I was making the graphics for my games, I was enjoying it a lot more. So then I went and did a course on uh, game graphics and they taught film and games parallel at first, and then they branch off later in the course. And um, I've, I've, I gravitated towards film more because you weren't as limited. So um, I went down that way. And then uh, I got a sort of trainee sort of position uh, working for a, a film studio where they, it was basically a, a course that they ran a free course where they taught you how to do uh, rotoscoping and um, paint work, which 
for those who don't know, is uh, sort of like cutting things out from the footage um, and removing things like tracking markers and wires and things. I um, got taught to do that sort of thing there and a sort of relatively natural progression from rotoscoping and paint uh, work is to move into compositing, which is uh, sort of how that company at least runs it and a few other companies run it that way too. So I just sort of slid into compositing and uh, yeah, I've been there pretty much ever since. (laughs) Um, And the 3D stuff with Blender was more of a hobby um, for a long time just because it was a bit different. Um, and I liked the idea of making my own images and things. And uh, it's only fairly recently turned into a professional thing. Um, but uh, yeah, that's that's pretty much my my backstory. Yeah, it's, it's kind of interesting. To, when I talk with, with uh, 3D artists or like generally people in the industry, like a lot of them is like they started out doing something completely different and then just like slowly gravitated towards something else. Like for me, it was like, starting out as an interior designer and then Arcvis steadily, steadily towards the graphics. And I just landed as a 3D artist. Like, Yeah, I, I think it's one of those fields, uh, um, CGI stuff, where it's not something that many people go into straight away just because, aside from anything else, there's, there's so many different areas of it. So um, you might not think that you're all that interested in it, and it just so happens that this is one particular, very specific area of it that you're really interested in, but you don't know about it until you've been doing something completely different for a while. Um, and you just sort of fall into it at a certain point. But uh, <laughs> at least that was the way for me and a bunch of people I know. So uh, I've got a couple of friends. That, uh, one was a chef for 10 years, and then he just decided he was bored doing that and he liked movies, so he's going to try working in movies. And he, he, I, I've worked on him. I worked with him on, on, on a bunch of movies now, so um, he did well to do that. And um, there's, yeah, just endless stories of people doing that sort of thing. So, yeah. So, so yeah. Um, <laughs> if you can share kind of like a secret of your uh, career path, how do you land a job working for a company that's doing oh. the big titles, like the, like I mentioned, uh, some of the titles that you that are in your portfolio, like latest, mm. latest, like the the Rings of Power or Andor, so things like. People dream of working on, on such things. Yeah, well, I sure as hell didn't um, see myself doing that sort of thing. <laughs> no, even, even after I started, I thought, oh, yes, this is nice. It won't last long. For me, I think it was just giving it a go to start with, just sort of see how, uh, see how far I get. Because I, I was very, very unsure of what I wanted to do at that point. Um, so I was just kind of doing it because I was vaguely interested in it, really. I didn't think it was a proper career path that I could actually pursue and maintain. Uh, and I got a little bit lucky because uh, a company that was relatively near to where I lived, which is uh, Animal Logic in Sydney, um, they, um, like they're, they're pretty famous for movies like Happy Feet and the Peter Rabbit movies recently and things like that, um, the Lego movies. They, uh, they ran this training course that was free and they uh, seemed to have a fair few connections with the college that I went to and I didn't even apply for it. I don't actually know how they got my details. <laughs> um, but uh, they, they emailed me and asked if I wanted to do it. So I, I, I said yes to that. And I met, thankfully, my workplace um, let me take annual leave for that month. So um, I was able to go and do that. Um, and then from that, you just get straight into doing a job if you did well enough in the course. So that's kind of how I got into it. But 
even after you've had your first job, uh, it's it's a line of work where uh, word of mouth and experience are far more important than anything else. So even after you've had one job, like it's good that's the hardest one to get. But even at that point, most companies won't hire you. It's uh, It's a lot of luck and a lot of persistence and a lot of just constantly trying to teach yourself how to um, uh, improve your skills and, and, and trying to make as many connections as you can to some degree. It's, it's a tricky thing to get started, but once you get started, then it's, uh, yeah, it, it gets easier as time goes on. Um, at least it did for me. Um, <laughs> and being tight-lipped about what you're working on, that's also important, unfortunately. A lot of, um, a lot of people have had difficulties finding work after they spilled mm. the beans on something. It's, uh, yeah, that's, that's, what, that's what I wanted to talk about a little bit. Uh, the, the, whole, the whole thing, like working in a big production, the, there's like a lot of NDA involved. And most of the time, like people kind of in the credits, some, some were low, you know, in the long credits that no one really watches as ex, ex, apart from you know the, the, the people interested in the industry or um, and like do you enjoy this kind of a position where where you're kind of like a, the man behind the scenes rather than you know someone like more cele- celebrated or like having your own you know creation in in the front oh no i i i do enjoy just being sort of a, a small part of a larger thing uh, to some degree. There, there are pros and cons to being more prominent, um, being in more uh, significant positions. Um, generally, I've found, uh, at least from talking to people in those sort of more senior positions, uh, there's your life basically goes on hold while while a production is going if you're in a more senior position and um if you're someone who's in charge of a good chunk of the production so say for example you're a supervisor on this big production or whatever uh while that production's running you're doing often seven day weeks and long long hours and because there's just so much to keep on top of and i'm not sure i'd enjoy that <laughs> um but, but yeah, I mean, it's a it's a little bit disappointing sometimes that the CGI artists, particularly uh, these days when just about every movie has uh, just, sorry, my cat's being uh, insane, um, um, just pages and pages and pages of uh, CGI artists um, on so many movies at the moment. Uh, it's a bit disappointing that we're basically at the bottom, um, <laughs> especially because we put in, like, you know, weeks and weeks and weeks, months of our lives into these things. And um, so often it's one of the most obvious things to criticize and things. Um, but honestly, it's it's still exciting. Every, every time your name comes up, it's a woo sort of moment. Um, it doesn't really matter how far down you are as long as you're in there, which is uh, uh, definitely something that doesn't always happen. But um it just doesn't really bother me too much, uh, it being that low. It's just exciting to be a part of it a lot of the time, yeah. at least for me. Yeah, yeah I remember what, uh, talking to uh, Bartek Skorupa uh, some time ago. He, he's the guy behind the No Drangler add-on, and also he's running a, a post-production house of his own mm. uh, here in Poland, and uh, he was showcasing his, his work as a post-production artist, or uh, he's showing some kind of a commercial or, or thing, and... Uh, like he said that the core of this work is really 
to make people not see your work because <laughs> you're, you're just like removing yes. stuff from it, like, uh, yeah, collaging stuff and do, doing all the things that, that yeah. people should not notice that there was something <laughs> done with the images. Yeah, there's, there's certainly an element of that. I mean, it's hard to get away from uh, it sometimes. Like if, if you've got a, like, like a Marvel movie or something and the background's obviously not real, you know, obviously that sort of stuff's going to be seen. But the idea is to have it so that the line, the, the the sort of the line where the real stuff stops and the fake stuff starts, you can't tell where that is. That's kind of generally the goal. Um, and if it is something that is meant to look real, like say for example, uh, a, a good one is uh, that movie Sully, which is about the plane crash um, or the 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 what was a water landing um, with Tom Hanks. Um, that one had that big plane crashing in the Hudson River sequence. And, you know, you want that to look as real as possible, as perfectly believable as possible. Um, or, or, you know, just someone being on a boat and looking out a window and out of the window is a blue screen, but it's it, it needs to look like ocean, that kind of thing. Um, that's where you want it to be invisible. And that is... Uh, a, a, an annoying thing for a CG artist because you're trying to point out, no, 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 none of that's real, I swear. Um, <laughs> but it's uh, so, so, so frequently the case that you can't convince people because you've done a good job. It's gratifying. Uh, yeah, in a I, weird thought, sort I thought of that way. maybe you know, if if someone uh, really doesn't get the whole, um, you know, doesn't know how how it looks like from behind the scenes, uh, the compositing work for like, how how would you describe yeah. what you do like? What's what's your job to to I don't know some someone who's a total layman like your grandma uh, or auntie whatever. Yep. Uh, yeah, I've done this a few times, particularly to my grandparents. Uh, I I would say um, taking the real stuff and the fake stuff and smashing them together basically and making them look as good as possible. Um, uh, that and you know removing things that people don't want <laughs> visible. Basically, those are the two main. Uh, elements to the job really i mean it's obviously more complex than that but that's the gist of it um that is compositing in a nutshell um and then the 3d stuff is basically making uh making 3d objects the, <laughs> this uh pretty much the gist mm -hmm. of that too and you, and you, you so, mentioned like this whole style yeah. of, of making things uh, seem real realistic like there, there's a whole like whole it's it's like um genre of of cgi i'd say like it's a photorealistic one and there's also like the marvel movies that that you're working it's like kind of like in between something stylized like it's comic book based and a lot of real realistic stuff yeah in an unreal world and also there's there are movies like like the spider-verse mm -hmm. which are which are going to in, straight into the stylized uh, very very much graphic um yeah artistic uh, direction like is there uh, like from from your work experience, is there a lot of that uh, that artistic, stylized, abstract direction also in, in, in the compositing world, or most of these things are are kind of like going for 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 real? Um, well, it certainly is far more common for things to be more photo real, um, just because most of the time. Uh, movies that come out are with real actors and things like that um, but you do quite regularly get um, depending on what company you work for the, um, because different companies have different specialties um, 
And uh, for example, the one uh, Animal Logic, the one that I mentioned before, they sort of have two specialties. One is set extension work, which is basically when you have like a blue screen or something and you want to make the environment seem bigger. Um, and then they also have sort of full 3D animated things is the other sort of specialty that they have, like the Lego movies and um, things like that, Happy Feet and whatnot. Um, and uh, when you're working in a company like that, you do tend to sort of move between projects that are more photoreal and projects that are m more stylized. And it's sort of the same sort of processes, um, sort of irrelevant of what thing you're on. Um, something as uh, heavily stylized as the Spider-Verse movies, um, they've probably got um, a lot of the work I mean, I, I'm, I'm speaking as a guest because I didn't work on that. But um, a lot of that would probably be done um, in, uh, in 3D and 2D um, animations. And then, like, the compositing is sort of there to bring it all together at the end. <clears throat> but it's, just, again, the same sort of processes, really. Uh, you're, you're taking the different image layers and all the different data passes and things that people get from other departments give you and using those to make the best looking image you can so all right so so like digging into yeah. that into that whole compositing workflow i would want to ask you two questions like these are, these are like the same but the opposite questions like one uh, which which is the uh, okay. the most exciting part of this work and which one is the most tedious part that you would mm -hmm. uh, gladly pass to your worst enemy or AI or whatever? <laughs> Just take it from me. <laughs> okay. Well, it's not AI. Uh, it's just straight out the gate. Uh, I, I don't... Uh, the company I work for now, uh, Rising Sun, they're actually using a lot of AI to help us out. Uh, things like um, <clears throat> using AI to do face replacements on stunt uh, stunt actors of... Um, things like that so you don't need to you don't need to try to like uh manually put the actor's face on there the ai does like it's like a deep fake kind of thing they um just replace it and then you have to just sort of blend them together uh things like that so ai i found so far at least has been quite helpful not actually a hindrance at all um but uh i'd say the most enjoyable part for me uh is there's a meeting that happens uh, once or twice a day called dailies. And this is basically where everyone's work that needs to be up for review uh, gets put up on this huge screen. Um, depending on the size of the company, it could be a TV or it could be like a theater screen. And uh, basically everyone comes in and looks through everyone else's work and you get to see like all these images coming together and, um, yeah, it's it's really fun, and exciting to see how different people are making uh, all these images work together, and you get to see previews of, of things that haven't come out yet <laughs> and stuff like that, which is uh, which is also cool fun. Um, so yeah, that's that's always good fun and uh, enjoyable, and you always get good feedback and things like that from just the best artists on the planet. Um, and uh yeah that's a really fun and really enjoyable part of my day some people don't like it as much as me but for me that's that's the part i really like um i'd say the most tedious part 
is probably what we call tech checks, which are basically once all the creative stuff is done um, and the client's happy with all the work that we've done, yeah, at that point, we now have to start making it uh, perfect. It's never going to be perfect, perfect, but um, doing things like uh, if, if there are people that were taken off a blue screen, making uh, like the edges have to be exactly perfect and like getting as many of the hairs and all that sort of thing, uh, keeping as much of that detail as possible and making sure that the focus is right on, uh, on CG elements and and just, just, Oh, Oh goodness. Uh, depending on the, uh, the scale of the production, something like a Marvel movie, for example, um, those are some of the biggest productions on the planet and they basically demand uh, pixel-perfect images as much as humanly possible. And they are going over every pixel of your image and making sure that everything looks as good as it possibly could. Um, and if there's any any tiny little error anywhere, um, it'll get pinged, it'll be sent back to you, and you have to <laughs> fix it. And sometimes, uh, depending on uh, how careful you were, um, or how difficult the plate might be, uh, the footage rather. That's a plate is a technical term for the footage. Um, uh, it can, like, there have been shots I've done where that process is going backwards and forwards for weeks um, on a particular shot, like on and off. You're not just doing that one thing, but uh, yeah, like one shot that just refuses to die, <laughs> uh, and that that can get very very tedious very very quickly. Um, but yeah, it's certainly not AI. I've, I've found AI to be pretty helpful for the most part. Yep. Uh, just te- taking this yes. whole technical <laughs> overload out of, out of an artist. But you mentioned that the, the, the fun thing is, like, I'd say it's, it's kind of like a community thing, like uh, making some things in a bigger team and, you know, just enjoying the process, looking at uh, something that's being developed. So it kind of like makes sense that you are also working as a community manager for CG Boost. So I just wanted to, I just wanted to ask you, like, <laughs> yeah. how, how did that start? Yeah. Quick how, plug. How did that start? <laughs> <laughs> um, <laughs> um, well, uh because as I mentioned before, uh, 3D was kind of a hobby initially for me. Um, I uh, joined in a couple of the challenges that CG Boost runs. Um, and uh, I'd been in that community for a few years, just sort of trying to get better at, um, at 3D work um, and just trying to make things that looked vaguely convincing because <laughs> oh, some of my early work was absolutely dreadful. Um, and I thought it was amazing, uh, but I, and I didn't understand how anyone could keep finding problems with it. <laughs> um, but uh, yeah, so anyway, I was in that community for quite a while. And after a few years, I just uh, messaged a couple of people, um, uh, Zach being one of them, and just said, look, if you need any uh, help, just like answering questions or if, if there's anything else, like anything I can do at all. Um, just uh, let me know, please, because uh, I would like to help out and add to the community uh, that, that's been built here. And uh, he messaged back and said they were looking for people to help out. So I, I just got a job like, straight away, which was uh, pretty amazing. Um, and it's been really cool uh, working with them since because uh, uh, in my time there, I've met a whole bunch of uh, people that I used to watch. That I used to watch their videos on YouTube. 
just to learn how to do stuff. And now I talk to these people like they're good friends of mine that I've known for years. And it's a very strange thing, um, especially because uh, despite any modicum of success that I might have had, um, these are still people that seem on a different level to me. Uh, which is strange um, to talk to them like they're exactly on my level. And that's the imposter syndrome kicking in hard. Um, but uh, yeah, that's, that's, it's been, it's been good fun. It's it's kind of sometimes surreal meeting the, those people. Like I, re I remember first time I met uh, Gleb Alexandrov, for example, it, it was like someone from, from a different world. When, when it, like in the real world, it's like, he's just a, have a, has a different Kind of path maybe in the in the certain areas he's just like way way above my level or whatever but it's like we're all learning uh, we're all different and uh, he's just a normal guy right that is something that i have noticed is that um uh, every, everyone in this line of work unless you're a very unusual person everyone is always trying to improve themselves everyone's still learning everyone know ever no almost no one thinks that they're amazing and um fantastic at what they do everyone's just trying to do the best that they can even the most experienced and advanced people are still watching beginner tutorials here and there and um like trying to pick up new tips and um you know it's it's and gang learning new things from other artists and it's a very collaborative effort doesn't matter what part of the industry you're in doesn't matter what element of cg work you're doing everyone's helping everyone else and it's a very nice environment to be in there's very few people that are unpleasant and unhelpful and refuse to do things properly and those people usually get weeded out very quickly so um yeah uh, yeah but the, uh, there there's maybe something that sometimes is, is a little bit divisive especially in the some kind of flavor flame wars on the comments sections and stuff which is which is like um mm. software-based cult let's say it and, uh, and that i wanted to get into that oh, a little yes. bit because you when you're working <laughs> on the big productions like you mentioned uh uh yeah the marvel movies or stuff like that you're definitely using like the software that's considered industry standard for compositing and that is probably new i'm guessing right it's just yes. uh, yeah i just wanted to ask yeah. how yeah. how uh, do you get the difference between this industry standard software and blender well honestly um particularly in 3d there really isn't that much of a difference between um the industry standard stuff and something like blender which isn't quite there yet um it's uh it's they're, they're really very similar in most ways i think blender's thing is mainly that it's sort of more of a jack of all trades program so it can sort of do a lot of things quite well um whereas something like uh maya for example is um extremely good for animation and it's okay for modeling but it's mainly used for the animation side of things and then there's something like uh, zbrush and oh i call it zbrush most people would call it zbrush i imagine but um uh that's just the best for sculpting um the, as far as most people seem to be concerned um whereas blender is okay at sculpting you know and um 
uh, something like, uh, but it's useless, useless in most other areas. You know, it's, it's the whole thing is sculpting and uh, something like 3ds max is extremely good for modeling. Um, but it's not very good for animation and not very good for sculpting. You know, like every, the industry standard stuff tends to be much more specialized. Um, and Nuke is another good example of that. Like it does compositing and it does it really, really well. Um, but it's useless if you want to do anything else with it, really. It's not an animation or a modeling software or anything like that. It's it's compositing and like Brito Paint sort of stuff. That's it. Um, so something like Blender, um, it does get used um, even on big productions. Um, my current company uses it a lot for uh, DMP or digital matte paintings, which are basically like when you don't want to go through the process of making something in 3D, um, you make a single image that can be projected onto something or it can be used as a background, that kind of thing. Um, that's a very it's a bit of a generalization, but that's the gist of it. Um, they use Blender a fair bit at uh, my current company, and uh, it gets used a lot in smaller studios um, because aside from the fact that it's free, which is very helpful, again, it covers a lot of ground. So you don't need to have someone who's amazing at Maya and ZBrush and this and this and this and this. You can just have someone who's very good at Blender and they can cover a lot of it. Um, so, you know, it, it's, it's more of a... Um, depends on the situation kind of uh, deal. Um, but yeah, I tend to use Nuke just because that's my, that's, that's the one I was taught to use for one. Um, but there are other softwares that can do the same job, maybe not quite as well, um, but they can basically do the same job. It just kind of depends on your needs and uh, your budget and the sort of people that you're hiring. And yeah, so it just so happens that a lot of the pipelines that have been built up for a lot of these studios have been built using these uh, more traditional softwares. So shifting over to something like Blender, you would have to basically chuck out all the work that you've done on these other programs and rebuild it for Blender or whatever software that is you're trying to bring in. And that's more work than most companies want to do um, for something that uh, really at that scale, the budget for buying licenses is not that big a deal. So, uh, yeah. And um, from your experience, because you've probably uh, used uh, also the compositor in Blender, like what, what like is there, is there like, mm -hmm. a yeah. super huge gap like that, that Blender compositor is really useless in, in comparison to, to Nuke or because it's not like probably the most powerful feature of Blender. It's definitely not the most powerful feature of Blender, unfortunately. Um, I, I'd say you can do quite a lot of the things that you can do in Nuke uh, in Blender. Um, as you can, you, basic, but basically, it doesn't really matter what your software is. You can get the same results. Um, that's something that I talk about a lot in places like the CG Boost community and stuff. Um, if you want a certain result and you only have a specific compositing software or whatever, you can get that result. It's more just uh, how long it will take, how difficult it might be, et cetera, et cetera. So as far as getting a specific result, you, you can do that fine. It doesn't really matter what the software is. Um, but I think the biggest difference right now between Blender and Nuke 
is mainly in the performance. So <clears throat> there are features that Nuke has that Blender doesn't, but uh, I, I find about 95% of the time, they're not really all that necessary. The, the, the things that the thing that Blender's sort of falling down on for me, compositing wise, is just the speed. So uh, if they have the uh, real-time compositing system that they're starting to build up, um, which is basically only useful in the main 3D viewport before you've actually rendered anything, uh, and that is very quick and very good. Uh, but again, if you're trying to use Blender to replace Nuke, um, you wouldn't be using it that way. You would be using just the compositing section of Blender. Um, and that regrettably is incredibly slow. Um, I found that uh, while using it, it is very usable and you can get good results with it. Um, but I found that if you do more than half a dozen sort of uh, operations with it, it uh, gets incredibly slow and I have to render out what I have and then go off the rendered image that I've just made to make more steps, um, which is something that Nuke kind of doesn't need to do nearly as often. Uh, you can get through yeah, a lot more with Nuke before it starts slowing down. And there are, there are even programs that make Nuke look slow, like uh, DaVinci Resolve's uh, compositor, that one is very, very quick. It's way quicker than Blender uh, than Nuke is. No, it's much, much quicker than Blender. Um, but the main drawback for me is that it's built into a much larger program that doesn't focus on that stuff, um, which isn't so much of a downside, but it is a little bit more fiddly from a UI point of view, um, user interface. Um, but it's also... Um, it's also a bit more of a learning curve because uh, things are labeled in a strange kind of way. And it's um, it, it, you have to go and do tutorials on just how to use that particular, um, use that particular software, which you can do. And you probably have to do a similar thing with Nuke. I'm just very familiar with it. So it's probably, um, yeah, it's probably a similar situation with that. But um, yeah, and that one is definitely not an industry standard, although it is a free software that a lot of people use. So you never know what the future holds. That's kind of my experience with that whole. Yep. I guess I guess DaVinci da is like uh, really popular, especially as a video editing software. Yes, it's uh, fantastic for color grading and, and editing. It's used a lot for those, but uh, not so much for compositing. It's kind of understandable because this is like such a huge market, right? Everyone like needs, uh, like almost everyone needs to edit some kind of a video footage right now with all the, all the trends that like every social media is going to the video trend. Like, so it's kind of like there's a huge demand for that. Yeah. Even, even, yeah. I mean, even small businesses that have nothing to do with video editing. Like I, I have a friend that's running a game shop and he's, uh, he's, he's trying to make videos to promote obviously promote his shop but also just to teach people how to play games and things like that so it's a everyone's pretty much everyone is trying to make a video of some kind and something like that is a very useful tool to have for free um, so, so uh, talking a little bit more about blender um, is there kind of like an area of blender that's always on your to learn list and you never touch it because <laughs> there's so much work going on <laughs> Yeah, oh yeah, there's there's so much to learn in that program. It's one of those programs where every time you think, yes, I have finally mastered this area, you find somewhere else and now now I need to learn that too. <laughs> um I think uh 
I think sculpting is probably the area that I would like to really dig into next, I think, because I, I like to think that I'm pretty good with hard surface modeling. So making, you know, things like buildings and machines and, you know, things like things like that. Um, but organic things like characters and creatures and even simple things, even things like, you know, making a cliff face or something like that. That's, uh, that's something that I'm not very good at at all. Um, and that's something that I've been trying to get better at. So that's probably my next step. And I would love to get better at some of the more simulation sort of elements, uh, things like uh, making fire and smoke and uh, explosions and uh, even even just things like simple physics, things like trying to make cloth simulations look a bit better and things like that. And I, um, yeah, there's, a, there's quite a few things on my list. There's always uh, my, my wife gets eternally frustrated with me because I keep mess- saying something like, Oh, this would be a cool thing to learn. And she goes, Oh no, not another one. Um, (laughs) I've got a list about three miles long. That's, uh, that's, uh, things that I'm wanting to learn and wanting to get better at and wanting to, uh, uh, try to try to do. Yeah. The similar, the simulation part is right now in this kind of area where blender is being developed like the simulation nodes coming to the, to the blender 3.6. So maybe it's like good to wait a little bit or maybe just dive into it straight ahead when it's being developed. Yeah. I think, yeah, I, I'd, I'd say for me personally, I'm not the sort of person that's uh, super intent on getting the jump on the latest updates. I, I, I tend to be someone who's more, I'd rather wait until, a more full feature set is there and then I'll get into it because um, guaranteed there'll be a situation where I get halfway through and I'm trying really, really hard to work out how to do something and it's driving me insane. And then a few months later, someone comes out, Hey, we've got a new tool and it does exactly that thing that took yeah. me six hours to do <laughs> before. Um, so yeah, I think sculpting is probably the area I'll go to next just because uh, I would like to get to the point where I can make, uh, a, a film um, or something like that from scratch, fully animated, and I can't. I, I have a lot of trouble doing that when I don't have access to characters and things like that. And being able to make a decent quality character. This exactly gets me to the to the point I wanted to touch, uh, and it's uh, it's the being overwhelmed with too much, you know, to learn because the 3D is such a you know making a movie of your mm. own. It's like there, there are people that that, that are making it right. Uh, I've I've seen like a crazy yep. you know young creator right now he's doing something like a vlog doing a full feature movie of his own it's quite interesting but uh, there's mm-hmm. a, there's a 3D challenge right now that's running and you've been involved into the teaser for the channel yep. challenge uh, so I wanted <laughs> to talk about uh, this a little bit and it's uh, based on the on the course by CG Boost, the Cubic Worlds course and it's kind of like the answer for people who, mm-hmm. are, who, are, yeah. who are overwhelmed with all the three things in 3D that they have to learn. And the idea is basically like taking the cube, the default cube, let's say, the, the shape that you see when you open Blender. Yeah. It's like the simplest you know, 3D form and you just, um, just scale it, stretch it uh, and color it and make complex scenes out of it and just like mm-hmm. animate it, uh, do all the complicated stuff in a CG production and you learn it like limiting yourself to just the cubic form and that's 
Yes, well, it's it's trying to bring the scope down as much as possible. That's that's kind of the idea. So the the more complicated your scene is, the more uh, detail you try to put into there. The the more realism, in particular, that you try to inject into a project, the harder and longer and more difficult. Oh, just yeah, just generally more difficult it becomes to make that thing. Um, it's getting easier and easier, especially with things like AI, like uh, the ability to do motion capture, for example, to really speed up animation. Like I, I have been dancing around in my living room in front of my phone camera uh, to get some very quick animation for projects and things like that. So it is getting easier, but yeah, something like um, something like the Cubic World style or any 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 super super simplistic sort of style is always going to be easier to make something significant out of it so um yeah that's something i definitely struggle with because i'm much more I, I don't know if it's because of my day job or if it's because of like what i envision myself wanting to make somewhere down the line but i tend to lean much more towards realism which is a problem um because making something that looks real takes a lot more effort i find um than making something really simple that does basically the same job. Um, obviously, you know, when you get into things like Pixar movies and things like that, which obviously have a lot of work put into them, it's a different story. But something like like this Cubic Worlds thing or um, like, you know, just any any super low poly sort of animation is going to be a lot easier to pull off if you're one person in your garage or in your basement or something. Um yeah, then trying to pull off a Hollywood-style realistic movie with Marvel-level CG, and it's it's not happening for one person, not for a long yeah, time. So exactly like I wanted to just uh, let people know when they listen to the podcast, probably it will get out, um, you know, be published uh, before the challenge ends. So if you're listening, if you're one of the early listeners, no. just uh, and want to, <laughs> you know, just dig into something like making a cool project. Just hop into the uh, CG Boost community, and if you're listening this after the challenge ended, there's always you know you can always uh, like take the cubic, cubic worlds course or or just have fun with making something in the in this idea because it's like I found that this is a really cool you know playground to just uh, yeah have 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 all those things in control because you're limiting it uh, yourself to some simple mm. stuff and. Uh, and probably if you're if you're listening after the challenge yeah. ended, you can watch the whole you know cool creations that people came up with, and it's also inspiring. By the time this comes out, I imagine I don't know how fast your editing process is, but um, even if you know there's there's probably only going to be a week or two left in the challenge, I'm, I'd assume. In which case, you would have to move very very quickly to um, to get something done in time. But that doesn't mean that you can't. Uh, make something that was initially designed for the challenge and you end up just making it for fun. I, I, there's a half dozen challenges and um, contests and things that I've tried to make something for in the past and there's just no way I'm getting it done in time. I, I, I had high expectations and they didn't land um, and uh, I ended up just you know finishing it off anyway and just saying this is a cool thing I made. It was supposed to be for that but yeah, whatever. It's just something cool that I made. Um, but it's also a really good thing, especially in a community like the one at CG Boost, but you know, there's, there's heaps of them where you can get good and constructive feedback. Um, and that I find is pr the best way 
to uh, improve your skills is to tr just try making something for yourself and push yourself to try and do something that you you're not sure you're going to be able to do and then just get, keep getting feedback on it until it looks amazing um yeah it's just personal projects are my mantra <laughs> and uh they've they've uh, i think i've they've helped me probably more than anything else that i've ever done so, yeah and it's and it's something that you're not yeah. uh, you know not obliged to be discreet about <laughs> so this this is something that you can really share on the social media no yeah it's really nice i can talk about what i'm making oh no there's so many things i'm not allowed to talk about but i can talk about that all right so like i've got i've got one community question because i've asked i've asked people on mastodon hmm. for for some questions to someone who's been compositing in large in big titles so the question is what's something that doesn't seem obvious to the public like that turned out well like from your job, if you're allowed to talk about this, because as you mentioned, like a lot of it is, is oh, yeah. under NDA or whatever. Uh, and that turned out well with a lot of effort put into it. Like, I guess it's all of it, but maybe something specific. Okay. Um, all right. Well, I'd say the thing for me that I would probably point to in that direction. Um, there was a Marvel movie that came out a while ago called uh, Shang-Chi and, uh, and the Legend of Ten Rings, The Legend of the Ten Rings. Um, and that movie was filmed in Sydney in summer in Australia, where the sunlight is very harsh, uh, famously very harsh, um, very, very bright day with no cloud cover. Uh, so there were hard shadows on everything and it was filmed on Australian grass, which is very dry. Um, so it was uh, not as lush and green as, uh, as, as you would like. Um, and uh, basically it was, a, it was a practical set, a lot of it, and they'd filmed it all and it looked all quite good. But then the, the lighting was too harsh. They wanted it to be a cloudy... Uh, environment uh, slightly otherworldly and it should sort of have uh, a sort of Chinese sort of atmosphere kind of vibe uh, so you know shadowy sort of very lush green kind of grass and uh, none of this was possible with the footage that they'd given us so what we ended up doing was completely replacing the background um, every single character uh, that was fighting in that big battle at the end was fighting on yellowish, <laughs> yellowish grass um, with a very strong yellow sunlight. And uh, we had to replace the environment entirely, cutting them all off the background, doing... Uh, we had so many rotoscoping artists thundering out uh, mats, uh, masks for all of the characters in, these, in this big battle and... Um, for me personally, I had a shot where the main character, Shang-Chi, sort of um, hits his dad and his dad falls over and sort of is on one knee. And there's a shot that's about, I think it's about 15 seconds long or something. Oh, it, it might not have been that long. It might only have been about 10 seconds long. But it's a slow push into the dad's face as he's all grumpy and sad on the floor. Um, and he's got this great big tuft of hair um, <laughs> and uh, the harsh yellow sunlight on the harsh yellow grass was shining straight through his hair uh, and I spent about three weeks 
of my life, making that background look like the one that they wanted and trying to get uh, the light coming through his hair to look right, which might seem very, very mundane, but it's incredibly hard to get a, a hair detail of a moving background <laughs> that's moving in front of grass um, that is entirely the wrong color. And especially when the, 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 the light is so much brighter originally because you have to sort of invent details that aren't there. Um, and I, there are quite a few hairs in there that weren't his hairs. I manually painted them in. Um, so there's something like that. And when you're watching it, you would never know, I don't think. Uh, and I'm, I'm pretty happy with that. But yeah, it's oh, wow. That, that was one of those ones that I was talking about that uh, went backwards and forwards uh, a lot. <laughs> a lot of notes, a lot of uh, backwards and forwards because this doesn't look right. That hair's wobbling. That one's not right. This edge looks too bright. That one looks too dark, you know. Um, and that that is so much of compositing in a nutshell, really, is uh, just stuff like that. Um, simple, simple things that... Uh, well, things that seem very simple that are very, very not simple. Um, and uh, there was another one on Peter Rabbit. Uh, the Peter Rabbit 1, I think it was, the first Peter Rabbit movie. And uh, there was a shot where they had the camera uh, panning across, uh, like moving sideways across this uh, sort of open field. Um, and they had little tracking markers on rods sort of throughout the field. Um, and it was my job to get rid of the tracking markers um, and trying to paint out uh, tracking markers that are on little poles that are wobbling around in the breeze. So they're entirely useless as tracking markers anyway, in front of grass that's moving in front of other grass uh, for a shot that's about you know, 15 seconds long. So it's a long shot. Uh, and you're looking directly at the grass the entire time is incredibly difficult. And that was another one that took about three, maybe four weeks in my life, was just getting rid of those tracking markers. So yeah, things like that. Basically little things, but little things that take a long time. And the devil is in the, in the details, uh, yeah. as they say. Like you mentioned, <laughs> the the Australian sun. So mm. <laughs> I, uh, yeah. So oh, so in oh, my goodness, yes. European imagination, I picture Australia <laughs> as some you know quite exotic uh, country. Oh. <laughs> oh, that's not a way that I'd describe it. But, <laughs> but, I, but I imagine it like oh, being yeah. very dangerous, like full of, full of those animals, like, you know, spiders, snakes. I don't know where yeah. it, it can be attacked by a kangaroo or whatever. Birds, bugs, everything. There's, there's small bears that drop out of trees and try to kill you. Um, um, <laughs> that's not a real thing, by the way. There's a lot of dangerous stuff, but I don't think there are other countries that are much, much worse for the dangerous animals. I think like there's a lot of sort of like, like anything, anything near the Amazon forest, I think terrifies me. Um, uh, we do have spiders. We do have a lot of spiders. We do have snakes. We have a lot of snakes. There's no denying that <laughs> we have birds that try to swoop you and, um, do damage if they hit you. Um, there are, there are things like that, but I think the further into the cities you get, the less and less frequent those things become. Um, I uh, have never been in a house that didn't have at least one spider living in the shadow, in the shower. Um, they, they like the warmth. <laughs> 
you, you learn to spot the spiders that aren't a problem. Um, so there, there are two types in particular. There's the huntsman spiders, which are very sort of mild temperament things and they don't tend to do anything to people. They tend to leave you alone if you leave them alone and they take care of bugs and mosquitoes and things like that, the things that you don't want. And then there are the daddy long leg spiders, which I, I'm not sure. I think they might not be actual spiders, but they look like spiders and that's good enough for me. Um, uh, those ones are physically incapable of hurting you because their teeth are too small. Um, but they do take care of, again, mosquitoes, bugs, flies, things like that that you don't want in your house, ants. Um, so, you know, those ones, if you see them, tend to leave them alone. But then there are so many dangerous ones. And if you see anything other than those two, uh, squish it or throw it out of the house as fast as you can. <laughs> but, um, yeah, that, like, look, there are, there, are, there are dangerous things, sure, but it, it's fine. I, I don't think anyone, I don't, think i've ever heard of anyone actually dying from a snake bite uh so like not not recently there's there's been uh everyone sees snakes from time to time they're they're pretty rare but you do see them from time to time and like they're not that big a deal you just sort of oh no and back away slowly and avoid that area until it's cool <laughs> because they like to sunbake but uh that's 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 about all it is really I tend to to think about Poland, where I live, uh, as quite a safe place in terms of like dangerous animals. But we ha here in in Gdańsk, we have uh, mm. quite a big chunk of forest near near this uh, or inside the city, and there are wild boars living there, mm. and they are and they're all. Oh, oh, that's so exciting! <laughs> Usually, they avoid people, but you know. They, they get sometimes you know tempted to the food from from you yeah. know garbage bins or stuff like that and they even sometimes wander in, inside the city so uh, and these are really like these are dangerous animals mm. right and yeah i also haven't heard of anyone yeah, yeah, yeah. really hurt. Right. Like, it, they're they're really dangerous when they are near their uh, little ones so they, then then you have to really avoid yes them. yes well so many animals are i mean we, we uh there's a couple of animals that we have that are really not dangerous on the face of it like uh koalas and uh everyone loves koalas for some reason um they're kind of cute but they've got dangerous dangerous claws and they all have chlamydia but they're fairly mild temperament uh they've got a fairly mild temperament as far as i'm aware um but yeah if you if if you get on the wrong side of one it can it can do damage it's got they've got big claws and things so. Um, and then there's something like a wombat, for example, which is a relatively mild animal. They're not particularly dangerous in themselves. But uh, if you hit one in a car, it's like hitting a rock, like a big rock. Um, uh, and it does extreme damage. Also does damage to the wombat in that situation. But, but yeah. Um, but they also, because they're burrowing animals, uh, they have been known to dig under people's houses and go straight through the foundations and make people's houses collapse. It is a thing that has happened. Um, so, you know, there, there are things to watch out for, I think, everywhere. I don't think it really is. I don't think it's isolated to Australia. I think we just have a bit of a reputation for spiders and snakes, um, which is a bit unfortunate. <laughs> Sharks as well. 
how about the CGI community? Like, are, are there many 3D artists, like generally CGI people? Is there a vibrant community or? It's a fairly small community. I mean, like the CGI community in general is fairly small, really. I mean, if, you, if you're working uh, with a bunch of people, uh, chances are, if you leave that company, you'll end up working with them again somewhere. Um, just because there's only so many companies and there's only uh, so many people to do the jobs at those companies. So, uh, and in Australia, it's particularly that way. There tends, there's, there's sort of, it's getting more, uh, uh, it's getting larger very quickly because uh, Australia's got a lot of um, f funding for films and tax breaks and things like that. So a lot of stuff is getting filmed here now. Um, Uh, and that brings a lot of uh, these CG companies, things, places like ILM and Weta and these sort of places, they're all sort of migrating to Australia as well. Uh, there's a lot of these big companies here now, which is nice. Um, but it is still fairly small. Uh, there's everyone that works in this line of work knows someone that works in just about every other company. Um So, you know, it's just, just, uh, it's just kind of how it is. And as far as uh, people doing using Blender in particular, I, I, I personally know about three other people um, that use Blender here. <laughs> not, because there's, um, not because there's not a lot of people using it here, just because um, apart from the fact that Blender's not an industry standard thing, so people in film jobs don't often use it, Um, but I'm also uh, someone who interacts much more uh, with Blender people from overseas just because of CG Boost and, um, you know, a bunch of other factors. But uh, so I don't really interact with that many people that use Blender here. There are definitely, they're, they're around and they, they do use them. They, they, they do use it, but uh, yeah, it's, it is a very small community and uh It's it, which is an, a good reason to make sure that you're not being an unpleasant person as well. Just because if you are an unpleasant person at one place, you'll have a reputation for being an unpleasant person everywhere because everyone knows everyone. Um, <laughs> and that's just the way it is. Uh, yeah, and that's that, that's uh, that's funny that uh, the most, at least uh, on the, in the YouTube uh, tutorial This, um, area the most popular guy is from Australia, so like the the uh, Blender guru, Andrew Price. Right? Oh yeah, 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 yeah. Andrew, he's in he's in Melbourne, I think. Um, it's a fairly popular place for artists because it's uh, a bit more of a vibrant atmosphere for younger people than somewhere like Sydney. Um, and Sydney and oh well, yeah, there's Brisbane as well, but Sydney and Melbourne are the two largest cities. Um, and Sydney tends to be more about uh, sort of more traditional business, you know, like these big corporate companies and uh, places like that. And Melbourne tends to be a bit more artistic. Um, so, yeah, uh, that's where a lot of these sort of people go. Um, but uh, not me. Mm. I've been in Sydney and Adelaide. <laughs> uh, it's a it's uh, whole thing. Yeah, and you mentioned uh, also in your resume... Uh, when I was doing like a little research uh, on your person be before the recording, yeah. you mentioned yeah. that you are also, let me read that maybe, uh, that you are also a drummer. Oh, God, yeah. Yeah, yeah, yep. I've been in a bunch of terrible bands. <laughs> My uncle gave me a snare drum when I was about six. 
or maybe maybe eight. I wouldn't have been any older than that, I don't think. And I bet my parents regretted that. Um, <laughs> so I, I went from that to like uh, like a, a djembe, which is a sort of African drum, like one of those bongo style things. Um, and then I went from that to a full drum kit. And uh, it's it's been a loud adventure ever since. <laughs> but uh, I, haven't, I haven't actually been able to play properly for the last couple of years because when we moved from Sydney to Adelaide recent, well, a couple of years ago, um, I had to get rid of my drum kit. Uh, it just takes up so much space. Um, but uh, I'm planning on getting back into it. I'm in the process of moving back to Sydney now. And um, when I move back at some point relatively soon, I hope to get another drum kit and get back into it because it's, uh, it's excellent fun uh, making loud noises by hitting things. It's, it's excellent. Especially for a CG artist because the job is mostly you know, being in front of the screen and moving mostly your hand muscles <laughs> with the mouse or whatever. It's also like a physical you know, exercise sort of, sort of thing. Right? Well, I mean, for someone like me who's not a thin person, it's good. Any exercise you can get is good exercise, right? Um, and <laughs> for something as physical as drumming, uh, it's 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 good. You you get very very sweaty. Uh, <laughs> um, there, there are times when I've been practicing particularly hard, and I've had to immediately go and have a shower because I am just drenched. Uh, and so that's that's probably not the most uh, attractive advertisement for drumming but it's it's uh it's it's excellent good fun so and physical exercise just like it releases all those endorphins so uh, the sweat doesn't matter right plus the music yeah well especially when the, the the particular job you're working on is incredibly frustrating being able to smash something nice and loudly is it's good <laughs> Re releases some of the frustration could you say a little bit about your musical fascinations? Like what kind of music did you play like in the, in those terrible bands as you described them? Okay. So I, my, my taste in music tends to be sort of centered around uh, sort of seventies and eighties music a lot of the time, because uh, my, that's what my parents listened to and particularly my dad. Uh, he's, he was, he's a very good bass player. Actually, he's in the middle of playing in a um, Bee Gees cover band, which is, quite hilarious it's excellent i recently discovered like when researching for the show mm. that the bgs were actually from australia and that was like a revelation yeah. for me i didn't know that yeah yeah, yeah. uh uh but uh, he's yeah he's in a bgs cover band and uh he's he's actually pulling in some big crowds and things which is pretty cool um but anyway he um he's uh, a lot of my music tastes come from him and i uh things like uh rush and Supertramp and um these kind of bands um they're, they're sort of the baseline for what i tend to listen to i've got a whole bunch of other stuff that i listen to and i, I tend to listen to a lot of heavier things like um uh disturbed and five figure death punch and things like these uh, bands that i listen to a lot um but i tend to play more songs from that sort of russian super tramp sort of era of music so it's um, more where I tend to sit just because I, I, I prefer that style that's kind of hard to come by at the moment. Mm -hmm. I discovered that Bee Gees thing when I was doing like a little poll on Twitter for the best band from Australia. Like the bands I, I know from Australia were the ACDC, uh, Tame Impala, that was like kind of uh, my most recent discoveries, like Tame Impala and uh, In Excess. 
Oh, oh, goodness, yes, yes, in excess, yes. yeah, and that one, and also Nick Cave, which I uh, like. I'm a huge fan of of Nick Cave. Oh yeah, 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 yeah. There's there's quite a few uh, very good Australian bands. There's there's some good ones out there, but uh, ACDC is. <laughs> it's that's the yeah. one that everyone immediately thinks of. Uh, I would recommend uh, giving a look to Cold Chisel, which is a uh, very uh, famous band here. I don't know how famous it is anywhere else because I have not been much out of the country, but um, it's a very, very uh, famous band here, and it's uh, very good. It's, it's good. It's good fun music, and I, um, um, I used to actually live around the corner. At, uh, at my uh, one of my old houses, I used to live around the corner from the lead singer <laughs> from that band, and it was his dog nearly attacked my dog. It's very exciting. Um, so, <laughs> yeah, yeah. There's there's a the Wiggles is a very very famous uh, children's uh, children's entertainment group that uh, they are Australian too. And my dad, I think was, I, I, I'm not 100% sure about this, but I'm pretty sure my dad went to the same um, army college as one of the one of the Wiggles. So, you know, good times. Everyone knows everyone. Six degrees of separation and all that. There's also like the band, uh, you mentioned the Wombats, but I'm reading the Wikipedia and they're from Britain, I guess. <laughs> so it's... Wombats from Britain? As in the band or the, the animal? The band, the Wombats. Okay, so I was going to say the wombat is a very Australian. Yeah, very Australian. Um, but they're British Norway, Nor British and Norway. Yeah, how about that? Well, it's a good name, so I approve. Um, yeah. <laughs> All right. So uh, the community thing is like probably. No, I, I was talking with the previous guest about the the Blender conference. Uh, experience and mm. that's pretty hard for an Australian guy, I guess. Get get to answer <laughs> yeah. them, right? <laughs> Yeah, it's a bit of a trek. Uh, it's uh, I don't. I think the last time I checked, it was about a, uh, a 14, 15 hour flight. Yeah, um, and it costs a lot of money, <laughs> so it's not really something that's within my scope of ability to get to at the moment. But um, yeah, we we watch the highlights. That's uh, that's what we do. <laughs> yeah. Um, yeah. Luckily, luckily there's... unless you're lucky enough to get invited as a guest speaker like Andrew Price, then yeah, you're pretty much stuck here. <laughs> exactly. Like the, at least the, there's the the online right now. That's everyone's kind yeah. of like more used to because of the whole COVID thing that happened. Oh yes, but it's not the same, really. Yes. It's not the same. Well, I don't know. You're teaching me now. <laughs> yeah, you can flip. You can flip the coin, and it's like people from here would also love to go and see all those nice creatures in australia but it's not that easy right oh, yeah. yeah uh yeah yeah i i do get front row seats to uh kangaroos which, which is uh something that uh fascinates the overseas people yeah. so that's, that's i only saw them <laughs> at the zoo so yeah yeah uh yeah i didn't think about that it's it's because we don't really have uh those sort of animals in zoos most of the time we tend to have things like you know like tigers and lions and that sort of thing and you know uh um different like like for example your wild boars that sort of thing like that's the sort of thing that we often have in zoos here um but like kangaroos everyone sees kangaroos you go down the street and there's a couple of kangaroos on the side of the road this is not news we don't need to pay to see those ones so <laughs> um yeah it's a different experience i hope that the episode really makes everyone just want to go to australia Oh, you should. It's so good here. Everyone gets sunburn. It's excellent. 
you 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 want to <laughs> you want to go for a swim and get eaten this is the place to be not really it's actually uh some of the best beaches you will ever see in your life are here um which is a uh, yeah, a cool thing. Even though I don't particularly like to beach myself, I'm very pale. This is how I operate. Um, but yeah, there's a lot of good things to see here. I would recommend coming and seeing. Yeah, and uh, if if people would like to see some of your work, you know, although it's most of the time things that people should not really notice, right? <laughs> the compositing part. Oh yeah. Uh, where where yeah. where would they you know uh, see some or maybe or your personal project? Is there <laughs> is there a place where you where people can find your personal projects that you're developing? Uh, right now, I honestly, I have a bit of an unfortunate tendency to start projects and not quite finish them, um, which is a very common thing I've heard. No, no, not at all. Um, okay, we, we finished no, every single um, project. But uh, uh, when, I, when I do a personal project, I do tend to post it in the CG Boost community just as I'm doing it. So uh, if you join up there, you can, you can see it there. But honestly... Uh, about 90% of the time when I'm working, it's on something that's going to be in the theater or on Disney plus or something like that. So, um, <laughs> realistically, if you want to see my work, they're probably the best places to go. So, um, yeah, and I'm, I'm hoping, um, once I've finished up this big move and I've got a couple of things that I'm working on, once that's sort of, uh, wrapped up, I'll be able to start making some more personal project things. Um, that will be actually something that people can go and see. So, um, yeah, I've seen yeah, that. I've see seen that, that modeling uh, Hogwarts style architecture project that you're. Oh yeah, yeah, doing. yeah. That was yeah, a personal project of modeling Hogwarts. It's something that I've wanted to do since I was in college, and I haven't had. I've tried about four times over the years, and they were all dreadful. Uh, so I decided uh, it's been a few years since I tried last time. I'm going to try it again, and it's going very well this time. So. Um, we'll see how that goes. I'll definitely at least attempt to finish that one. So, <laughs> uh, yeah. Um, and the, and the yeah. community is there to help you with the feedback and, and like encouragement. So if anyone listening to the yeah. show, uh, would like a helpful and friendly community, like join the, the CG Boost community, it's of course that CG Boost sells paid courses. You can take them and I highly mm -hmm. recommend this. Uh, very good content for learning. But if you just want to hang out with uh, fellow 3D artists and share your projects and just like have some feedback uh, and some friendly discussions, mm. uh, the CG uh, Boost community is open. Like you can join there free for free mm. and and also see Daniel's uh, private projects. Yeah, you, you, you can see my personal project. Um, uh, also, I, I would like to point out that, that that community, while it is obviously more centered around um 3d work um it doesn't really matter what sort of thing you're working on if you're if you're someone who works primarily in 2d uh, you're someone like me who mostly works in compositing or you're you're someone who's just trying to do 2d animation or any, anything at all really if it's something vaguely cg related or whatever you just 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 join up i think it's it's uh i know this i know i work there so it's it seems like a um uh, what's the what's the word um inv i have a bit of a vested interest in, in taking you over there but uh it, it's genuinely one of the few places i've ever been uh online where everyone is helpful and everyone is positive i i so rarely run into someone who's unpleasant there 
it's a very, very rare thing. Most people are extremely helpful and extremely good at giving feedback. And it's just a really good place to hang out. And like, even if you just want to be inspired by someone else's stuff, you don't have to post anything. You can just go there and look around and see what other people are doing. And it's a really cool place to be. So um, yeah, would recommend. Even if you think that your work is terrible, like if you've heard. Oh God, especially if you think your work is terrible. Yeah, just just um, like the podcast. Uh, I've, I've recently got my first like uh, really critical comment from from a guy on YouTube, and he said like that people that don't uh, speak fluently and sound bad, they shouldn't do podcasts. So sorry, it's not it's not ah. perfect. I'm trying to improve the quality every time, but <laughs> you should quit. <laughs> you should just quit. Uh, there's no hope for you. I'm. <laughs> It's <laughs> yeah, so a shout out. It's not acceptable. Shout out to the perfect uh, feedback, uh, and yeah, we're that, that's, that, that is the last episode. <laughs> Don't expect the next one, please. Uh, but if you <laughs> but if you like the podcast and you you would like to hear more episodes from Subsurface Talks, just please subscribe, share it with your friend, and yeah, leave a comment below, maybe a positive one. That hopefully, also like especially a positive one. I was on this one. I, I I want every positive comment you have, so that's good. Yeah. So, <laughs> ending up on that note, thank you again, and Daniel, for taking the time to be uh, a guest on the show, and wishing all the best to your uh, to your private personal projects and all, all those commercial ones, like to be even more yeah. dreamy, dream jobs. <laughs> well, I, thank you very much. It's been very good. Uh, it's been good fun being here, and um, yeah. Thank you to everyone who uh, listens or watches. It's, uh, it's been good fun. Yep. So take care.